Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. It's the podcast that's all about the cuisine that is said to have founded modern cooking. French ingredients and dishes have been the starting block for many of the world's best chefs and cooks. On Fabulously Delicious, you'll learn all about those dishes and ingredients, as well as get to know more about fabulous French foodies. I'm your host, Andrew Pryor. Enchanté. Enchanté. Ten years ago, my life changed when I competed on MasterChef Australia. And now, I'm living my best life right here in the French countryside. Here, life is all about cooking, eating, meeting wonderful locals, food producers, chefs, home cooks, drinking amazing wines, eating some of the over 1,500, I've been told, French cheeses, and sharing these fabulous experiences with you, my fabulously delicious audience. I hope you're enjoying them. So this episode is all about Napoleon and food. But there's more than one Napoleon. In fact, there's three. But two have made an impact on French cuisine and cuisine around the world. So that's what we're going to explore today. Napoleons of France, what they ate, the food they loved, and how they changed the world of cuisine. Sit back, turn the volume up. If you're not driving, pour yourself a glass of wine, break a baguette, add a bit of saucisson, maybe some delicious cheese, and enjoy today's episode of Fabulously Delicious. Napoleon. We'll start with the first Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte. Born on Tuesday the 15th of August 1769 and died Saturday the 5th of May 1821. Napoleon Bonaparte was Emperor of France and military commander and the leader of the French Republic from 1799 to 1804 and the French Empire from 1804 until 1814. In December 1799, Napoleon brought in a range of reforms through the Council of State and Advisory Board of Experts. They introduced the metric system to France in 1801, which then spread throughout Western Europe by Napoleon's armies. The Battle of Marengo took place on the Bormida Plain on 14th of June 1800, near to the town of Alexandria in Piedmont. The French Army de Reserve, led by the First Consul, fought against the Austrian troops of the Second Coalition. On the battlefield of Marengo, Napoleon's cook noticed that Napoleon hadn't touched his food all day. He was waiting for the battle to end before eating. This made Napoleon very hungry. So, the story goes that Napoleon's chef had sent out his kitchen hands to gather food from houses nearby that had been left empty. These young men came back with a small chicken, some shrimp, eggs, garlic and tomatoes. The chef then cooked the chicken in the garlic out of the tomatoes and accompanied this on the plate with fried eggs and the boiled shrimp. The chicken had some cognac added to it in the cooking process, and voila, Marengo chicken was born. Napoleon loved it, and it quickly became his favourite dish. Over time, the dish changed, as cognac and shrimps weren't always available on the battlefield. So the cognac was replaced with white wine, and the shrimps were replaced with mushrooms. Napoleon didn't like this and sent the dish back saying that the shrimps were missing and that this was going to bring him bad luck. Chicken Marengo is now a favourite for many people around the world. Here's my recipe for it. The bad luck, no shrimp version that is. I hope it doesn't bring you bad luck. The ingredients you'll need? Four chicken thighs, four chicken legs, two tablespoons of unsalted butter, 
quarter of cup of all-purpose flour, one tablespoon of olive oil, 150 grams of white mushrooms sliced, two garlic cloves finely chopped, one shallot finely chopped, two bay leaves, three sprigs of fresh thyme, a half a cup of white wine, one tablespoon of tomato paste, half a cup of chicken stock, salt and pepper to taste. And the method? In a bowl, toss the chicken in the flour. Brown the chicken on all sides over a medium-high heat in a non-stick fry pan with the butter. Remove to a plate once browned and cover. Place the oil in the pan and add the garlic, shallot, bay leaves and thyme and sauté for a couple of minutes, making sure not to burn them. Pour in the wine and scrape the fond from the bottom of the pan and bring it to a boil. Add the tomato paste and cook for a minute. Return the chicken to the pan and add the stock. Cover and cook on a low heat for 30 to 40 minutes. Once the chicken is cooked, season with salt and pepper and serve. Another dish associated with Napoleon Bonaparte is the lobster thermidor. It's said that Napoleon named lobster thermidor after the month in which he was first served it. Thermidor was the 11th month of the Republican calendar, which was used after the French Revolution for a short period of time. But many current food historians dispute this claim. Around the world, the Milfoy is called, in some places, a Napoleon. This is said not to have come from Napoleon Bonaparte, but instead from the Italian Napolitan, which is a pastry made in Naples, Italy. But I should note that the Milfoy, which translates to a thousand leaves, was created by Antoine Carême, who I've done an episode about on the podcast before. Antoine is considered the father of modern French cooking and was the first celebrity chef. Napoleon was one of the numerous clients and he even made Napoleon's wedding cake. Napoleon's coronation by Pope Pius VII took place at Notre Dame de Paris on the Sunday, the 2nd of December in 1804. It was in this ceremony that food, and specifically a herb, played an important role. Napoleon wore a golden laurel or bay leaf wreath throughout the ceremony. This represented peace, victory and civic virtue. For the actual coronation, he raised a replica of Charlemagne's crown over his head in a symbolic gesture, but did not wear it instead kept his laurel crown on. Personally, it is said Napoleon wasn't a huge fan of gastronomy or eating. He preferred armies and politics, it's said. One of the things widely reported about Napoleon Bonaparte and food was his meal time, and specifically the time he took to have meals. No more than 15 minutes per meal. That's right, he's said to have limited meals times to 15 minutes or less. He even skipped meals, it said, and often arrived late, forcing everybody at the table to eat fast in order to eat within the remaining dinner time that was left after his arrival. It's also said that he ate with his hands and he liked to soak bread on the plate with whatever sauce remains on the plate. Nothing wrong with that, I say. That's one of my favourite and most delicious parts of a meal. As far as we know, Napoleon Bonaparte preferred simple meals like potato soup, beans and onions, and essential meals that sustained the body. 
His chefs reportedly weren't paid well, and he would often go through chefs at the rate of one a year. But this might be because of his travels more than anything else. Who knows? These chefs, though, are the source of thoughts that Napoleon Bonaparte suffered from gastritis, which made him eat lighter foods more frequently. Even though he wasn't a great lover of food and gastronomy, he did know the importance of the table and food in politics and diplomacy. In fact, he would delegate meals to his generals and other important political figures to entertain on his behalf. And they did so, some would say, extravagantly and pushed the cooking of French food to the level of French gastronomy that we know and love today. Many people call this time the golden age of French gastronomy. Josephine, Napoleon's first wife, was the opposite of Napoleon. She loved food and cuisines from around the world. She is said to have had a taste for all things. So for receptions, she would be made in charge of the events and would take pride in everything from the food to the ornaments and works of art on display. Her wine expense was said to be around 50,000 francs per year. And she is said to have used 50,000 cheeses, 2,500 kilos of butter a year, dazzling guests with creations. The cuisines that she loved were everything from Turkish, Italian and even Creole food. Fabulously Delicious is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can check out other shows at evergreenpodcast.com. If you're enjoying this episode of Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast, then you should check out my Story of series, which has previous episodes where we talked about other fabulous chefs who have made history in one way or another in French food. We've discovered the father of French cooking, Marie-Antoine Carême, Auguste Scaffier, who set up the working processes in today's commercial kitchens, Eugène Brazier, who many would say is the, the mother of French cooking, and another fabulous French woman who founded the acclaimed Le Cordon Bleu, Elizabeth Brassard. Speaking of Le Cordon Bleu, we've also profiled Julia Child, possibly the most famous, if not fabulous, student to come from Le Cordon Bleu. To learn more about these fabulous French chefs and cooks and their stories, Check them out at Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast, and search the story of. Napoleon, it is said, did, however, supposedly love coffee and chocolate and would sometimes consume them excessively when he was working late into the night. In France, roasted chicory experienced a real boom in 1806 during the war against England. The blockade caused a shortage of coffee and Napoleon promoted the development of chicory culture in the north to replace coffee. It was then known as the coffee of the poor. After his travels to Egypt, he reportedly brought back with him a strong liking for dates and would request them for after his trip from his beloved home of Corsica. Other Corsican specialties he loved was infusions of orange blossoms in teas and water. 
and he also loved to mix ice-cold water with his wine, champagne and cognac. Mm, not sure how that would go down with the French wine lovers of today. Even though food preservation goes way back before Napoleon's time, he is considered to be the father of canning. Bonaparte offered 12,000 francs to anybody who could find a way to prevent military food supplies from spoiling. In 1795, Napoleon himself awarded this prize to Chef Nicolas Appert, who invented a process of packing meat and poultry into glass bottles, corking them and then submerging them into boiling water. He'd sterilise them and stop bacteria damaging the food. Nicolas Appert was born in chalons en champagne in Marne. He was one of 11 children. He would be known as the father of food science and developed, as I said before, the thermal processing of canning. Interestingly, he was an active participant in the French Revolution and took part in the execution of Louis XVI. Despite receiving this prize from Napoleon and many other grants over the years from the government, Nicolas Appert died in poverty and buried in a pauper's grave in 1841. Under Napoleon, his his government encouraged sugar beet industry in France. This was for the extraction of sugar from sugar beets rather than from cane. This was done because of a blockade of French trade lines that meant that sugar supplies in Europe were limited. Sugar was also a preservative that helped army food last longer. So this was important to Napoleon politically. Napoleon is said to have feared insurrection caused by hunger. He was quoted as saying he would be less afraid of a battle against an army of 200,000 than of an insurrection caused by hunger. The French soldiers suffered numerous casualties in the Napoleonic Wars from malnutrition, scurvy and starvation. When his army was being fed, and with all the innovations with food for his armies, Napoleon Bonaparte is said to have had much control over his soldiers and what they would eat. He at one point had said that his army would be rationed with one meal a day that he himself would design. This would be a dish, a soup of boiled beef, a roasted joint and some vegetables, but no dessert. The soup was to be served à la Napoleon, which meant that it would be served boiling hot. Today, one of the most fanciest and oldest restaurants in Paris, Le Grand Fifour, in the Palais Royal. It was founded in 1784 and welcomed many celebrities throughout its years. Despite his dislike of fancy food, this was the location of Napoleon's marriage proposal to Josephine. Another restaurant in Paris that has a fabulous Napoleon story is Le Procop, which is in the Latin Quarter. Allegedly, Napoleon was not able to pay his bill. He was a young general and found making money difficult, so he apparently tried to pay for his bill by leaving his hat instead of the money. <laughs> Today, that hat would be worth a petty fortune, I would say, for those restaurant owners. Rosemary, the herb, and its essential oil was the favourite perfume of Napoleon. Josephine is said to have demanded that he bathe in rosemary water before joining her in bed. Napoleon's royal perfumer recorded that he used 162 bottles of rosemary water in the first three months of 1806. 
In exile on St. Helena, one of Napoleon's companions, Count de la Casse, is quoted as saying about what Napoleon drank. Count de la Casse said, During 15 years he constantly drank a particular sort of burgundy wine, Chambertine, which he liked and believed to be wholesome for him. He found this wine provided for him throughout Germany, in the remotest parts of Spain, and everywhere, even in Moscow. Napoleon Bonaparte's last meal was on the island of St. Helena, where he was in exile. It consisted of liver, bacon chops, sautéed kidneys, baked eggs, garlic toast, and roasted tomatoes. On his deathbed, he is said to ask for the root of licorice to be mixed in with his water in a bottle so he could drink it, because he loved it so much. Napoleon would often have licorice to relieve stomach aches and also used it in the battlefield as he believed it calmed his nerves. There's nothing written really about Napoleon II and food. But Napoleon III was, like Napoleon Bonaparte, responsible for something that changed our food history because of a need for food and war. Charles Louis Napoleon Bonaparte was the son of Louis Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte's younger brother, who was made King of Holland from 1806 to 1810. His mother was Hortense de Beauharnais, the daughter of Napoleon's first wife, Josephine, to her first husband, Alexandre de Beauharnais. Confused? I was reading this. So basically, it means that Napoleon I... His brother was married to his first wife, Josephine's daughter. Right, I think I've got that now. And they had a son, Charles Louis, who would then become Napoleon III. Napoleon III also had a challenge for the public to create a substitute to butter for the armed forces and lower classes. So, Hippolyte Megane Maury in response created in 1869, margarine. This was a success for Hippolyte, and even though after the wars he had little commercial success, he sold the pattern in 1871 to a Dutch company, Jurgent, which is now part of Unilever. Napoleon III is the one responsible for the rebuilding of Paris in the design of the architect Hausmann, which revolutionised the city to what we know today. He was also responsible for the rebuilding of the Leal market, which in 1969 would be moved to the Rungus site just outside of Paris, and today is still the largest food market in Paris. This rebuilt Leal market would be the home to the first 24-7 restaurant, as well as the origin place of Soup d'Agnon. Napoleon Bonaparte is said to have said about food and warfare. An army marches on its stomach. That's it for another episode of Season 3 of Fabulously Delicious. Had you heard of the Napoleons of France history with food before? What's the most fabulous thing you've learnt from today's episode? Let me know by contacting me via Instagram. Slide into my DMs at Andrew Pryor Fabulously. Or email me on contact at andrewpryorfabulously.com. I love to chat with you all. 
we could just have a chat about food, as I love talking to people about food, and especially French food. Thank you for listening. And remember, you know what my motto is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. Merci beaucoup, and bon app. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.